Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I am your host, Shane Bacon. A fun one today, Matt Adams from Fairways of Life. And stop by to chat about a door closing, another one opening. Fairways of Life, of course, moving full-time to Golf Channel after Friday. So basically Friday is his last live show on Sirius XM Radio. He's had a 10-year run doing an amazing show where he does interviews with the biggest names in golf. That will, of course, be full-time on Golf Channel. It's already been a part of GolfChannel.com, and it's going to be even more a part of that community in 2017. So chatted with Matt about how he got going, how he got into this, uh, the keys to interviewing, and much, much more. So many thanks to Matt Adams for joining us. Hope you enjoy that. Of course, this week's podcast is brought to you by Swing Juice. And let me tell you, you've got to go check out their Do You Hear What I Hear t-shirt featuring a Rory McIlroy photo from the Ryder Cup Insanity on Sunday. Of course, the photo where he's holding his ear, it says, Do You Hear What I Hear? Amazing gift. All of their t-shirts make amazing gifts. I'm begging you to go check that one out. I guarantee you'll like it. They even make it in a three-quarter sleeve. Use that offer code BACON at checkout. You'll save 20%. Get somebody a Swing Juice shirt. I'm just telling you, it's a smart move, a good holiday move. You can put it in a stocking. You can wrap it up. You can put it in a really big box. And they'll open it and be maybe a bit confused by all the wrapping paper waste, but that is what it is. We have a newsletter, a clubhouse newsletter, that's being sent out twice a week. It hits your inbox It has simple links to some of the biggest stories out there, video clips, quotes of the week, uh, your gift item of the week. It's even got a golf destination to go check out. Basically, just a place for you to get all your golf news in your inbox without having to go search the internet. If you want to sign up for that, go to my Twitter page, at Shane Bacon, or the Clubhouse Podcast Twitter page, at the Clubhouse Pod, and atop the page pinned is a tweet with a link where you can sign up, sign up your friends and such. We've been sending them out on Mondays and Wednesdays, and they're, they're, they've been fun to do so far, and I hope you have enjoyed them and continue to enjoy them as we get back kind of into the golf season in 2017. Uh, it's holiday season. You guys are busy. I understand that. So I wanted to get right into the interview. Matt Adams, Fairways of Life, final show on Friday. Make sure you listen to that at 7 a.m. Eastern. He joined us on Thursday to chat about his career thus far and where it's going as they transition over full-time to Golf Channel. And we welcome into the clubhouse Matt Adams, a voice you've heard plenty of times in your life if you've ever been in your car listening to PGA Tour Radio. Really, on GolfChannel.com at this point, you can follow him on Twitter at MattAdamsFOL. Matt is ending an incredible 10-year run. 10 years, Matt. Can you believe it's been 10 years of you knocking out a show on, on XM Sirius Radio? No, tell you the truth, Shane. How are you doing? I, it's it is hard to believe that that ten years has eclipsed since we started the show. We started as a, you know, an interview show, just like this, and then it became a daily show. So for the vast majority of that period, we've been, you know, riding to work with people every day between seven and nine a.m. Eastern time, and it's it's been an incredible privilege. It's been so much fun, and it's just it's just been fun. It, you feel in a lot of ways you feel like you're, you're sharing life with you know millions of people. Well, you know, I was reading up on things you've done, and and I was I didn't realize you've been so I guess immersed in the 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 game and the sport of golf throughout your career. Uh, you were a club manufacturer. You've written books, of course. Now ten years uh, on the radio. Now moving over to Golf Channel. What uh, initially in you brought you to the the game and the sport of golf just to find a job? Yeah, my dad introduced me to golf as a kid, and then I I started caddying as a kid, like so many of us. And 
I was swept up right away by the beauty of the game. That's really what captured me, to be honest with you, first and foremost, was that, you know, these were, these were gardens, manicured gardens that we get to spend time in. And, you know, as my schooling years progressed, I had this really weird thing. I, I started doing radio when I was in high school. I'd run down to the local radio station that, ironically, the call letters were W-I-N-E, wine. So I would run down to W-I-N-E in the morning, and I would cut up little voices that I did about the local basketball game or what have you. And in the summer times, I would work where my passion was in golf. And I did that right through college. And when I was in college, this, where I lived is, is in the Berkshires, the foothills of the Berkshires up in uh, northwestern Connecticut. And so we had a lot of families that would come up out of New York City for the summertime. And it was this little nine hole golf course. And I was still in college. And, and because we were only there during the summer months, I was elevated to, you know, assistant manager. So it was kind of, I was already kind of doing this management level stuff at a golf course. So I pretty much knew that that's where I wanted to be. And that was the path that I wanted to follow. And somewhere along the way, I got asked if I would run a manufacturing company and learn the equipment side. And I pretty much killed every company in the industry there. Nice, we built nice. for everybody. <laughs> I mean, if I told you the names that you'd laugh, like Lynx and Snake Eyes and, <laughs> and Ram and early days of Wilson uh, it, for us, you know, all these different like Nicholas, uh, Slotline, I mean, most of these companies are other house brands or gravestones now, but we built for them back in the day. We did this huge production runs for them. And then when I got into the books, the chicken soup for the soul books, I had a couple that did well enough that, you know, my wife and I at the time where I was working for Northwestern golf in Chicago. And we said, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And I went back to my roots in the green grass side of the game. And it was on, I was managing uh, Newport national for, almost 15 years. And it was on that side that I started to dabble back into this kind of childhood fascination with the medium of radio. And so the reason why my show became a, a morning show, a breakfast show was because I had to be at the golf course. So I would do the show and then I would race over and, you know, check people in for their tee times or make sure the carts were ready for the staging of whatever we had going on that day. And so it put me in this kind of, again, odd, set of, of experience background where I could speak to equipment. I could speak to the golf business side of the game. And I had dabbled enough in media that I was just dangerous enough to be able to kind of muddle my way through. And so that was the combination that led me to where I am now, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't want to say we have kind of similar routes to what we do, but you know, it is interesting when you meet people like yourself, and, and I was a little bit like this as well, that kind of took every job you could in golf. I mean, I club, I cleaned wrenches at True North out of college. I caddied, um, you know, not just at St. Andrews for a summer, but for a, a couple of LPGA friends of mine. And basically yep. just any position they'd give me, if it was around a golf course, I would say yes. And, you know, it, it's interesting too, and I think it gives you a, a little bit of a, a different look at the game because – you know, you think of golf and you think about going out in a golf cart or walking 18 holes and playing with your friends. And there is so much that goes into it, not just in, as you mentioned, building golf clubs, but a golf course. I mean, setting up a golf course every single day. I mean, I follow these yeah. guys, cart barn guys on Instagram and Twitter, 
and they, they really give you a look into that side of the, the, the sport, that side of golf. And it is really interesting because, you know, when you pay your tee time and go play golf, you I don't know if you totally grasp what's happening around the entire golf course happening at hundreds and hundreds and thousands of golf course around the nation. Yeah, that's true. And, and it's, it's, there's, it's a lot more intricate. Uh, it's still a business, but it, it's, it, it shows you that side of the game, which doesn't get a lot of exposure. But what I have found, because now, Shane, with what you're doing with media and, and all the exposure that you've had and the great run that, you, that you're currently in, I've, I've found the interesting thing is, and this is the case, too, with, with, uh, at Golf Channel, is that those of us who, who come from a golf side of our path, whether tour player or whatever, whatever your directions, if you came from the golf side, we all kind of sit around and look at each other like, are you serious? They're, they're, this is my job. They're paying us to talk about golf. And if there's, if there's a, an inclination to complain that the ice is too cold, then I find that that's from the other people that are used to being in broadcasting for a long time and used to have people running around and making sure that, you know, their chair is comfortable enough. And again, on, on our side, we're kind of nomads. And if they want to have us talk about golf and do it to, you know, golf channels, what? 200 and something million homes in 80 countries and 11 different languages. I am absolutely blown away that there's anything that I can do to contribute to that menagerie. And I'm happy to do it. Yeah, it, it is interesting. The point you make about that. I, I, I totally agree with you on it. A lot of the times I'm, I laugh at myself. I have a whole bunch of friends that say I don't really have a job because they're like, <laughs> you can talk about golf and travel around and do all this stuff. But you know, it's, it's fun. It's fun in, in, in so many senses of it. You get to sit and talk about this game. And I mean, you get, you've been able to interview not just the biggest names in, in golf, the biggest personalities, uh, legends of the game for 10 years on your show. I was going to get to this question a bit later, but I wanted to ask, and I'm sure you get this a lot, you probably get what was your, your best interview, your, your favorite interview, your favorite person to talk to. And I wanted to ask, what's one that really sticks out in your, your head as a unique interview you've had over your run with Fairways Alive? I think the one that that's had the biggest impact on me through, I, and I think, Shane, we've, Don was telling that producer, I think we've done 12,000 interviews so far on the, on the show. And I think the one that stands out to me, there's, there's one, it's one and two. One of them is really close to the other, but I'd have to say Charlie Sifford. When I had the chance to speak with Charlie, he was already well into his 80s. And here's a man that in our time, now he's past since, but in our time, he broke the color barrier in golf. And he's in the world golf hall of fame on account of that. And so you're speaking to someone that was a massive trailblazer, someone that had to possess massive resolve, a steely determination. And I remember asking him if he was aware of the weight of what he was doing and, and the path that he was forging. And he said to me, no, he said, no, I just, I just wanted to play golf. And the simplicity of that, struck me. This was a man that in his first tournament back in the hotel room, got a phone call that said, if you show up tomorrow, I will kill you. I am going to shoot you. And he said, well, if you're going to shoot me, I'm teeing off at whatever, nine, 10 AM in the morning, you better be out there then. And this was a guy that when he was leading the Canadian open one year, which had always traditionally given an invitation to uh, the masters to the winner, 
when he was leading, a notice was, was put up in the locker room that said uh, this year there will no longer be a, a master's invitation given. And so to think what he went through and he received inspiration from, I mean, talking about people that not just inspiration in terms of observation, but words from and an arm around the shoulder from the likes of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Jackie Robinson, Joe Lewis, all these people who, who told him to carry on and believe in what he was doing. And to think that all of that was not powered by the intent of a means to the end, he wasn't trying to be a hero. He simply was. He did it because he loved the game. When you have moments like that, when, when you've had moments like that on your show, you know, as, as an interviewer, as somebody that talks to people, you know, you have questions, you have ideas of where you want to go. When you're hearing stories like the one you, 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 just, you just gave us from Mr. Sifford, I mean, is there moments where you just kind of pause and just listen and just try to just soak in everything that's happening because you understand it's this this pivotal moment in your in your career? Um, I never really looked at it in terms of what impact it would have in my career. I don't really, I don't really have a sense that I have any pattern or I don't have a plan when I do an interview. That I I, I go into it as a conversation. I mean, obviously, I, I'm going to know a person's background and biography. But my philosophy in interviewing is really to try to just get the hell out of the way. <laughs> and what I try to do, I, I get asked a lot, you know, how or where I come up with the questions that I ask. And I don't really know is the first answer, but what I steadfastly believe is that if you listen, the person that you are interviewing will always tell you where they want to go next. Always. And sometimes it's um, sometimes it's a physical cue if you're there with them in person, or it's it's a, a glint or a tear in their eyes. Sometimes it's a word that they said. Sometimes it's it's an emotion or a word that they couldn't express. But I find that they always tell you where to go next, and and that's the key. And I guess from that standpoint, usually I get done with an interview, and Don will say, "Geez, that was great," and I'll say, "Really? I, I just I, I have a sense. I, I just." just don't know Shane I wish I could give you a more profound answer <laughs> but I don't No, and, and I'm I'm similar I mean listening is the key that is the word I you, you said it that's the word that I've always tried to focus on is make sure you listen because of course you have as you mentioned notes and and things set up at the U.S. Open this past year I remember I had a couple things I was going to ask Bubba Watson and the first thing he said was he was going to a movie and I was I was thinking to myself <laughs> well it, what movie? I mean, because that's what I wanted to know. I wanted to, <laughs> what movie it. are you going yeah. to? And he and he told me, and he, and he said he's taking, I think he was taking uh, Caleb, and, and Ricky Fowler was going to go with him. And like you said, right there, now you've got a little personality out of somebody who, at times, has been a little tough to pull it out of in interviews. So, again, just listening is, is a very important skill, and it's funny to say that. I did want to go back for a second. You've mentioned it, and I was really interested in this, Chicken Soup for the Soul you were a co-author, and, and you wrote a few of them. I, a couple of questions about that first. Which books, you said you were successful with a few of them. Which books were the most successful? And for those not aware of what Chicken Soup for the Soul is, uh, if you weren't a kid or an adult in the 90s, basically it was a getaway from all of the negative news in the world uh, in this book where you could read positive stories that really, as it says, were basic chicken soup for the soul. And I remember I used to be obsessed with them, all the sports ones I had next to my bed, and I'd read them every night. Yeah. yeah. What happened was I was working in the golf industry. I was at Northwestern Golf in Chicago. 
and a vendor of ours that supplied us with golf bags because back in those days, you're talking about the early to mid 2000s. We used to do a lot of sets of clubs, you know, where you'd buy the bag, the, the, the woods, the irons, even putter and wedge. It's all in one set. You know, maybe these were sold through a Kmart or a Walmart or a big five out your way or what have you. And so I was at a show for big five, which was just for their sales associates through all their stores. And it was in Anaheim. And I happened to be sharing a booth with this vendor that made these golf bags. And he came up to me and he said, are you doing the copywriting on the packaging and all the rest at, at, at Northwestern? I said, yeah. And he said, you're, you're a really good writer. Well, that's the first time I'd ever heard that in my life. I didn't know I was a good writer. I had no idea. And he said, we're doing this book called Chicken Soup for the Golfer's Soul. He said, would you be willing to, I, I never actually said this publicly, he said, would you be willing to be a ghostwriter? And I said, sure. He said, yeah, we'll give you 300 bucks for each, each story that you write. Well, you know, I had uh, a two-year-old son and uh, a new one on the way, and I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world. And so I went headstrong into it, and that was the first book that I actually ghost wrote. And so it went to number one in the world. It was a New York Times bestseller in its category. So I didn't get any credit for that necessarily, but they paid me for what I wrote, and it was, it was a really cool experience. And then they came around, and they said – Hey, you know, we really like what you're doing and we're going to do a project with NASCAR. Are you interested in authoring that? So I'd crossed that line and I said, sure, I'd love to. And we were working on that book when the terrorist attacks took place. And I remember I was in Chicago and, and O'Hare was shut down and we were right next to O'Hare. So it, and it was this eerie silence. It would just, you, you never get that in Metro Chicago, as you can imagine, if you live near the airports. So I called up Jack Canfield, the founder of Chicken Soup for the Soul, and I said, there are so many stories already coming out in the wake of this horrific event of heroism and bravery and, and people doing their part from wherever they were around the country or around the world to try to touch the lives that were so horrendously impacted. And I said, I think we should do a book that benefits the New York Area Relief Fund. And he said, yes. So we decided to do it. And those books usually take about two years to produce. We did it in less than six months. And again, that book, which I now was an author on, became a worldwide New York Times number one bestseller. And in terms of, even though the stories were from individuals, I wrote probably 70 or 80% of them because there's multiple authors in the book. There was three of us. But what happened, Shane, was I now forevermore in, 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 authoring of books, a New York Times bestseller is basically winning a major. Right. And I all of a sudden became an author major champion. And that's something you carry with you for the rest of your life. So I went back and I finished the second book, the NASCAR book. That too became a New York Times bestselling book. And now I was a multiple time New York Times bestselling book. And I was convinced that anywhere I took my feathery to the quiver, it would be... <laughs> or, the parchment, it would be a New York Times bestseller. And I can tell you that those first two were my two New York Times bestsellers. I'm 10 books in, and I haven't had another one that sniffed it. So <laughs> it's very much like the game of golf, I see. Yeah, you 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 had a, you had a Tiger two thousand major run, and then uh, and then it was inevitably <laughs> yeah. going to stop at some point. It was going to have to stop. That's incredible. I I guarantee you, I've read at least two of those. I know I've read every single one of those that were based around uh, golf. I did. I I do want to say to you, Matt, you were 
in a way, a first ever golf blogger back in these days, because you were writing golf stories and you were kind of a ghostwriter, and you were the first ever golf podcaster. I mean, basically, 10 years ago, you started a golf podcast that just happened to be on uh, on satellite radio. You're really a trailblazer in this sense. Well, you know what it was? I, I was convinced back in the day that there was this web of passion around the game of golf, not just for the playing of the game, but in terms of golf as a lifestyle. So when we set off to do the show, we just like you were talking about the interviews, we didn't, first of all, we didn't know what the heck we were doing, and we had no plan. The only thing we had was a conviction that there is this common passion and that we wanted to celebrate the game. And my feeling was that, and I still don't think it really exists today to, to a great extent, was that there was no appropriate way for us to know the stories of the greats that have defined this game. And many of them were getting on in years and they were going to pass away soon as, as, as we've seen tragically. Right. So we set off to do interviews with these great men and women in an unstructured format. When I say unstructured, I'm talking primarily to the time constraints. There were every now and then I, as matters of commerce, I had to say, Hey, can you stay with me? And we'll come back and continue this conversation. Or if they weren't available during the time slot, I would record with them, which was even better because then I wouldn't stop. We would just keep going. And as a result, we had the opportunity to speak to people like, again, like Charlie Sifford or whoever it is, Arnold Palmer, or, uh, people that defined the game of golf through their generations and people that reached back into playing with Ben Hogan or Byron Nelson or Sam Snead in some cases you know, Gene Sarazen, we, we spoke with John Durr, who was an early broadcaster that was personal friends with Bobby Jones, and he shook the hand of Thomas Edison, and all of this stuff that just blows me away when you think about it, and that medium afforded us the opportunity to do it, and I hope we didn't bore people to death with all these interviews over the years, because I thought it was just fascinating to hear this living history. Well, and, and that's what that's why golf is the most special sport in the world because it goes so far beyond just a regular sport. Baseball does it a little bit. Tennis does it a little bit. But for whatever reason, you know, there's hundreds of golf equipment websites out there and hundreds of golf, you know, golf blogs and golf websites. People just love it. They just, they just immerse themselves in it. They're obsessed with it. I, I meet people so many times that say, oh, my dad plays every day. And I say, yeah, I mean, it's, yes. they, and, and they can't get enough of it. And I think that's what's so special uh, you have your final show on satellite radio this Friday. Your final live show, excuse me, on satellite radio yeah. this Friday. It's basically tomorrow when this podcast comes out. I was just going to ask: Do you have some special things set up, or are you just going to roll out a show that you normally would? Uh, I'm just going to roll out a show that I normally would. My, my my sense with the the live shows is that they don't really belong to me. They they belong to our listeners, and they're going to set whatever path that they want. We have pulled some notable clips, if you will, from this past year. But then the next two weeks, we're scheduled to be on during, and during a regular time slot with recorded shows through the holidays. Those are very much pre-planned special shows. And what we're doing is we're going back into our history and we're pulling forth stories that, for one reason or another, just completely blew us away and resharing them with the audience, because I'm sure as you can appreciate when you do what we're doing now, whatever you do doesn't really belong to you. If, if in part or at all, it belongs to the people that consume it. 
And we know that when we revisit these things, that people are revisiting different parts of their life, who they were dating, when they got married, their children growing up, jobs, job changes, all these things. You know, again, we've ridden to work with them every single day for upwards to a, a, a decade. So that, those, those next two weeks are going to be very, very special. But tomorrow, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to let the people talk about whatever they want. This, you know, it wasn't my choice to end the show. That was the, that was uh, Sirius XM's choice to, to bring in a new show. I own Fairways of Life, but they own the distribution and that's, that's entirely within their right. And for my part, the sense that I have, the emotion that I'm, I'm feeling is not one of sadness. I'm very excited about what I'm doing for Golf Channel and, and where I'm moving forward. I feel like I'm in the major leagues there, but I am full of gratitude for the time that we have had. It's been such a fun run, Shane, and I've appreciated it all so very, very much. So that, that's, that'll be the tone of the final day. It won't be a lament for what will not be. It will be joy and reflection for what was. Well, and, and I've noticed on Twitter a lot of people have reached out and just thanked you. I mean, they've just basically told you, thanks for this. This has been something that's gotten me through tough times, as you mentioned, or uh, maybe maybe a dad has been getting up early with his newborn son. Is there any thanks, any note you've received uh, from people socially or through email that really sticks out in your in your mind? Yeah, there has been. I, I won't. I probably won't get into it just so it's not you know, just about me, but they're, they're, the people that have reached out, uh, champions and otherwise, it's been incredible. And it's something that I've, I'm very, very humbled by. But to me, all of the, the notes and letters and, and, you know, it, it reminds me of that scene in, in Braveheart where, you know, one of the noblemen tells him that, you know, we can't go to war. Think about all the, the you know, the lands and title that they have to lose. And he says, does does the farmer that that bleeds on the land lose anything less you know and 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 i feel the same way with everybody we're we're all in this thing together and we've all had a great time and, and i do feel for the the sadness or, or anger that that people are feeling that that they're losing a friend but i really don't feel like it's a goodbye i just feel like i'm going to see you someplace else and you know we've been sitting having a cup of coffee together at the same place for 10 years <laughs> and now we're going to do it somewhere else we'll, we'll figure all that out yeah pe- people you know people love change especially golfers they just love it it's it's one of their favorite things i'm sure i'm sure seeing tiger woods in a bridgestone ball commercial won't freak them out at all uh i was gonna ask is there somebody you haven't interviewed that is still on your bucket list Maybe Jackie Burke is the only one that I can think of off the top of my head. I think I can't think of anybody else in the game that we haven't interviewed, to tell you the truth. I think we've spoken to everybody there is over, over the course of the last decade and what like I said, almost 12,000 interviews in. And, you know, one, one thing that's, that's so remarkable about the game of golf is that I think at times people think it's marketing or packaging, branding, when when they see or hear from the golfers that they're good people, but you know because you're on the inside too, they truly are good people. Right, they're just regular people, and because they've grown up in and around this game, they they've learned to conduct themselves with respect. They've learned to be a gentleman and gentlewomen, and as a result, when they become adults, even though they're thrust into this spotlight of celebrity and, and riches, if if they are blessed to, to to have that kind of ability and success they're still good people. And it, it's funny because we both know that modern media in terms of how people consume it and, and in many cases, how it's sensationalized and, and it's uh, manufacturing, they tend to, 
to point to and dwell on the negative. And I'm just not interested in that. I, I, I'd rather find out from somebody what makes their heart sing. I mean, what, wh- what have you done in terms of the platform that you have to give back to other people? And they all have done it. And those are the stories that get lost oftentimes. And when you tap into that, and I did an interview, I think two weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken with Jack Nicholas. And, you know, he's, he's, his stage of his life right now is, is philanthropic. And I said, okay, so you've got these, you know, fundraising with muckety mucks and CEOs and all the, all this stuff, right? Yeah. I know you have to do all that, but do you ever actually see and feel the impacts of what you do with, with helping these children? And he went on to tell me a story about this little girl. I think she's a twin. If she's not, her sister's very close in age. And she was born with half a heart and it was backwards in Minnesota. Doctors told her parents, take her home. Let her, let her enjoy the time with you and your sister because she won't be with you for long. And his doctor in Florida said, I think we can help this girl. They flew her down. He went in on the operation from the back, turned the heart around, and after recovery, this girl was home growing up with her sister. So Jack told me that he and Barbara, when they were in Minnesota for the Ryder Cup, paid a visit to this little girl. And this is Jack Nicholas, hard as nails, 18-time major champion on, and so forth. And he started to weep. And I'll admit to you, it got me a little bit clamp too. Thankfully, the camera was behind me. So, but it was really hard to keep composed when a man that could be the greatest golfer of all time is weeping in front of you at, at how something their foundation did was able to save a life of, of this, this little girl. And it was just remarkable. And that's just one example of the experiences that we've been able to have. Well, it's it's been a I, I love the the thought behind that. I love the positive thought behind it because as I mentioned, even with Chicken Soup for the Soul, it does seem that there's so much negative out there and it just continues to pile on, pile on, pile on, and it's nice to to have a getaway where you feel like you're gonna go somewhere and get something that will touch you and and, and, and make you uh and make you at least think positively for a few minutes, maybe escape uh, some of the real life things people are dealing with. Is there anything on the horizon in twenty seventeen and beyond that will be a bit different now that you're making a full-time transition? Yes. The, I'm amazed by the stuff that Golf Channel is going to allow me to do, to be, to be fair. And, and I know I realize it's, it's because of the kind of unique background that I have in the game and the areas of experience. But I'm going to get more involved than I even have been with Golf Central. Uh, we're going to get far more immersive with what we've what we're doing with equipment and and technology that surrounds the game even golf the golf business side of the game which is an area that you know unless you have someone that's been there and worked in that side of the game you don't fully understand it like i've said many times there there are two spinning globes in the in the game of golf there are the the professional tours and that's the the other 99.99 percent that they're they're two different worlds they, they they bridge and they have shuttles between each other but they're two distinctly different worlds and so we're going to be able to kind of focus on on that fact a little bit more because that, again that, that's the part that impacts everybody that's involved in the game and not just uh, an elite few that we enjoy from an entertainment standpoint so that's kind of the combination of of things that right now that are on the horizon and as far as you know, specific shows go of, of the nature of what we've done. I don't intend on, on being away from that for very long either. So I would just say, you know, watch this space and we'll let you know what happens there. 
Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. I know you know you're getting ready for your final live show uh, Friday, seven a.m. Uh, on XM Sirius. Make sure you check that out. The final fairways of life on that medium, and of course, it'll move over full time to Golf Channel as it already has. Matt Adams, I really appreciate it. Thanks for everything you do uh, around golf. You really do make the sport better, more fun, more positive, and more enjoyable. So we all thank you. Thank you, Shane. It was nice to talk to you. Have a good holiday. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. It's in the hole. Just a reminder, everybody, to check out SwingJuice.com for your T-shirt golf needs. Everybody needs T-shirts. Now we're in golf polos all the time. Let's not be ridiculous. Go to SwingJuice.com. They have some holiday tees that I feel like you have to wear. If you've got a holiday party coming up, you need something to throw on. We had one earlier this week at the house. You can throw on a Swing Juice holiday T-shirt and rock it. People understand you're a golfer. And you have a nice sense of humor. If you go to swingjuice.com and use the offer code BACON, you'll save 20%. I mentioned the Roy McElroy Do You Hear What I Hear shirt, but there's also plenty more to choose from. They make great gift items, so make sure you go to swingjuice.com and get somebody something. You can save 20%. That's a great savings if you use the offer code BACON. So swingjuice.com right now. And that'll do it for this week's Clubhouse podcast. Many thanks. Make sure you check out that newsletter. Subscribe to the podcast if you love it. Tell your friends about it. All of you guys are the reasons we do it, so we thank you very much. Hope you have a great weekend. Go out, play a little golf, make a couple of birdies.